God, that you would teach us one thing. We've, we've already said this word many times. We've already sung this word many times. And God, we're going to preach about this word, love. God, a word that is so confused in our lives, in our church, and in this world. But God, I ask right now, through the power of your word, through the picture and the sacrifice of your son, and through the move of the Holy Spirit, that you would teach us what it means to truly love our brothers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your words, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. I want to go ahead and encourage you to turn there. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. And as you turn there, I want to ask you this one question as we begin. Do you know God? Do you know God? I had a beautiful opportunity to ask my neighbor this question on Saturday night. And as I asked her this question, a little bit of background information on her. She was in PSR all the way up until the eighth grade. She's attended the Catholic Church for 33 years now. And as I asked her that question, she said, I don't know. I don't really know how to know God. And tonight, if you would say that that is exactly in the place that you're in, you're struggling even as you hear that question because you would say, I don't really know if I know God, then I want to encourage you with this, that God has brought you to a good place tonight. Because right now we're studying in 1 John. And in this book, as John writes, he's encouraging the church of Asia Minor who has been infiltrated with bad Christology and theology, who have lost the image of what a true Christian should look like. And as he writes to them, he gives them a way externally to know if a person is truly a follower of Jesus or if they are not. And so if you look back with me at verse 10, we've already read this verse, but back in verse 10 he says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, John says there are two ways, at least two ways externally to know if you know God, if you are a child of God. And the first is if there is true righteousness that's being born out of your life. And so we talked about that the last few weeks, looking at what does it mean to live a life that's righteous? What does it mean to be purged of habitual sin that we repeat over and over that's unconfessed? And then, starting last week, John turns to love. And he says, you know that if you know God, if you truly love your brother. And Mark did a beautiful job of teaching on this passage last week as John introduces the picture of what love is not. He talks about Cain and says, Cain is the epitome of what love is not. Cain kills his brother Abel because Abel brings a sacrifice to God and God looks at Abel and he says that his sacrifice was received as righteous, but Cain's is not. And so Cain becomes jealous and he becomes envious envious of his brother and he hates him. And that hate turns into murder. We all know the story. But here's the thing. John doesn't stop there. He says that, can you imagine a hatred worse than that, that if you have a sibling that by your own hands 
you would kill them. But this is what he says to the church. If you have hated a brother in your heart, then you've already murdered him. You've already killed him. That is the picture of hate. God sees what's in our heart. But now, and John is a master of this, he uses the literary device that Mark talked about last week, compare and contrast. That was the negative, and now we are going to look to the positive. So look with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John now here points to Jesus, and he says Cain was the ultimate picture of what hate looks like, but Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate picture of what true, genuine love is to look like. Because if to murder your brother is the picture of hate, then to die for your brother is the picture of love. There is no greater example of love than a person would lay down their life, everything that they have, for a brother. We see that. We see Jesus say that. In John chapter 15, verse 13, he says, he says this, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. So, it's important here to try to really understand what John is saying when he puts forward Jesus as this example, as this standard of love. And so if you go back here, look again at the beginning of that that verse. By this, we know love. John is saying here, Jesus is the picture. He is the standard. He is the example of love. If you take this verse, see, I'm a highly visual person. Like most guys are visual. I'm overtly visual. I I understand like everything visually. And this is how I imagine this passage. When he says, by this we know love, what you can do is you can take this word love out and say this, by this we know the temperature. Now, if I said by this we know the temperature, what would I mean? Well, you could put up your finger and you could say, well, I can kind of sense the temperature because it feels like it's ah, 72 degrees in here, right? You can look down at your bottle of water and you can look at it and you say, my my water isn't frozen, so it's got to be like 32 degrees or less. But the real way to know what the temperature is, if I asked you, hey, what's the temperature? By what would you know the temperature? You would say what? A thermometer, right? Yeah. You would say a thermometer or, or a thermostat because that would be the standard right? Now you can take out that example and you could say, well, by this we know the time. It's a watch. By this we know the date. We would look back to a calendar. You could feel the seasons, but you couldn't exactly know until you look back to what the standard is. This is what John says. By this we know love Jesus. Every single time that we want to say that we have loved someone If we truly want to know if we have loved them, we have to look back to the most perfect example of what love is. And that love is Jesus. 
Looking at any other thing cannot give us a perfect standard and a perfect example of what love is. You can look at people in the church and you can try to compare your love to their love, but their love is not perfect. You can look to a movie. You can look to another book and you can say, that really looks like love. And that may be a picture of love, but the only true example that we can base all other love upon is Jesus. When you think about love, is Jesus truly your standard of love? Or is there some other standard, some other example that you try to base your love off of? Is it the way that your parents loved you? Is it the way that you see the church loving? Is it the way that you see the world loving? Not that those examples aren't bad, but if you truly want to know if you're loving your spouse, if you truly want to know if you're loving your kids, you must look back to Jesus in the way that Jesus has loved us perfectly by living a perfect life and by dying a perfect death now right now there has to be a point that's made and john makes it as he goes on and he says he laid down his life for us you see he doesn't stop by just saying he laid down his life this is the thing if if you were to go out into the street all right actually let's turn that around if i was to go out into the street and there is a, a big Mack truck coming. And I say, Todd, I love you so much, my brother, that I'm going to die for you. And so I'm going to let this truck hit me. Now, what is, I mean, it's kind of even hard to understand what that would mean, you know? You could say I'm dying as an example of love for Todd, but that really doesn't make sense. But if Todd is out in the middle of the street and I say, Todd, I love you. And I run into the middle of the street and I push Todd out of the way and that Mack truck that's coming bears down on me and it completely runs me over, smokes me, I'm done. That would be a picture of love. You see, it's not just an example. Jesus' love actually accomplishes something because Jesus dies in our place. There's a lot of people that talk about Jesus and they say that Jesus is a good example. He's an example that should be followed. Friends, let me tell you something. Either Jesus is God and we should completely surrender our lives to him or we should consider him crazy. He can't just be a good example. He says that he's God, that he's the way and the truth and the life. He's either Jesus, he's either God, or he's a lunatic. Jesus is not just a good example. He accomplishes something with his love. Now, on the basis of that love, what John says is because Jesus has laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. So now, John takes the example of Jesus and said, on the basis of the standard of love of Jesus, we ought to be willing to lay down our life for other believers. Now, if you're looking at this saying, well, man, I, I can't wait for the point where he says that he really doesn't mean laying down your life. He's talking about, you know, write a check if, if you have to or give up some time. That's not what John is saying. He's saying, if you really love Jesus, then you will be li willing literally to sacrifice your life for a brother. Now, as you read this, as I look across this room, this is one of the things that I want to say. There are many, many people in this room that I know. I know most of you. There's some that I don't. 
But as I look at the believers and I look in the eyes in this room, I would say that the most of the people that are here, I believe truly would lay down their life for a brother. I look at the covenant members in this room, knowing many of you very personally, and I know that if one of our brothers or our sisters, one of our covenant members at Matthias was in danger, that you would step in the way and that you would lay down your life for them. I, I had a, in my own life, I kind of had this tested last year. If you guys remember, we were meeting back in Hardin Middle School. And I remember this night so vividly. I was sitting right up here on the front row. And it was in the middle of worship. And somebody walked in. There, were, there was a guy that walked in. Probably looked like he was in his mid-30s. And he had really long hair. And he was wearing the huge black trench coat. You know, like all of us kind of have the epitome of when we think of a Unabomber. Like, that's what he looks like, you know. It's like, oh, black, tr- black trench coat, you know. My wife says that. I'm like, what does that mean, you know. But, but this guy, he, he walks in in the middle of worship, and he sits right next to me. And I had never seen this guy before in my life. And he's, he's right here, and we're worshiping. And you guys ever have one of those senses, you know, where it, it just feels like, like something is a little off, you know? Well, I, I kind of get that sense. I'm, I'm just a little bit antsy, and I don't know, it, it was a weird feeling. And so worship ends, and, and we sit down, and Mark stands up, and he begins to preach, and like, by the second, I'm just becoming more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable. And I'm thinking, like, th- something may be going on here. Like, maybe this is the Spirit, like, you know, nudging me, and, and this guy is, is not good. And this is right around the time that there was another church shooting, and so my mind has already been there thinking about our body and thinking about if that ever happened. And then, like, in a moment, out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy, like, reach his hand into his trench coat. And guys, I'm telling you, the guys are going to be able to relate with me. Dude, the adrenaline was running. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, snap. This, this is go time, you know? And there's my, my brother's preaching out there, and you guys know Mark and I love each other very much, and he's up there preaching, and Mark is, is getting into it, and this guy's kind of reaching in, like everything gets really slow, and I'm thinking in my mind, dude, I'm done. I'm dead. I'm, I'm about to take this guy out, and I'm going to go down with him, you know? And, and in my mind, I, I knew, guys, I'm telling you, I knew without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, I was going to lay it down right there. There was no question. I would lay my life down for my brother Mark. I would lay my life down for any of the elders. I would lay my life down for any covenant member or Christian in this room. There's no doubt in my mind that I would do that if I had to. Well, he pulls in his, his pocket and he pulls out a pad and a, piece of, a, a pen and he starts taking notes. And I'm just like, Dadgummit, I should have gone back and read James, you know, when the guy comes into the, to the worship gathering and he's not dressed like we think he should be dressed, like it was just conviction all over me, you know. This guy probably loved Jesus way more than I did, you know. But in that moment, like, as I was being tested, there's no question. I would go down for my brother. And here's the thing. John knows that most of you would too. And he knows that true Christians would say, yes, I would do that. And that's his point. And I want you to hang on to that thought here for a second. because We're going to come back to that. And I want to ask you this question. How have you loved? When you love people, are you loving them based upon the standard of Christ? Not that he's just an example, but he is the picture of love. Or does your standard of love come from your parents? Does it come from Oprah? 
Does it come from tie from extreme home makeover? Like, what's your standard of love? When you say that you love people, do you look back to Jesus or do you look at yourself and you say, I love people on my own terms and on my own conditions. How do you love? All right, next verse. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I imagine each of us as being a, a, a t-ball. My son's playing t-ball now. I imagine you and I each being a t-ball. And it's like John takes us up to the t-ball stand and he picks up his metal bat and he just goes and he hits it out of the park because every single one of us right now is trapped. We have to listen to what John says. John has just done another positive negative. As I was talking and as you guys were listening to me talking about, man, if I had to lay it down, You ladies were thinking about that, probably not as much as the guys. But if you were thinking, if I had to lay it down, we would all say, yes. Now, this is what John does. He takes us to an example that's lesser, that we all face every day. You see, the reality is most of us are never going to be called to lay down our life for another Christian It's probably not going to happen. I would say it's safe to say that almost 0% of this room will ever have to do that. That's probably a lower percentage of in John's day, but he knows that very few people will have to do that. But here is what we are faced with. Every single one of us, day after day after day after day, are given the opportunity to love others, not by laying down our physical life, but laying down our goods. And we would all say, oh yes, I would lay down my life, but will you lay down your stuff? That's the question. Three points, three questions I want to ask you as we work through this. Three things that we need to see. And on your notes there, you have these three questions. What does it mean to have the world's goods? You see that the danger is this. Even as I begin to get into this and it's like, oh, here he goes. He's going to talk about goods. He's going to talk about getting rid of our stuff. You may say, you know what? Man, finances at my house are tight. I'm a college student. I don't have anything extra. I've got five kids and I have no money. I have nothing extra to give. Let me ask you a few questions. How many of you have storage? Just raise your hand. Let me ask that again. How many of you have storage? Just raise your hands. How many of you have a closet with clothes in it? Raise your hands. How many of you have, I don't know, a pantry that has cans in it? Raise your hands. How many of you have a refrigerator? Raise your hands. How many of you have another pair of clothes other than the clothes that you're wearing? Raise your hands. Now, I get to see everybody. Hopefully you guys got to see that too. Every single one of us has the world's goods. Don't check out. This applies to you, and it applies to me. You can't check out at this point because all of us are in this together. We have the world's goods. What does it mean to see a brother in need? 
This word see that John uses here is theoreo. And to see means that it's more than a passing glance. It's actually to take a moment and to observe it. You've seen it, you've heard it long enough to understand what the need is. The word brother is another Christian. It's a fellow Christian, okay? So we're not just talking about some person on the street. And the need is a legitimate need. We're not talking here about you're, you're driving down Highway 70, you exit on Highway 94, and you see the guy that's standing there, and he's holding up a sign that says, we'll work for beer, right? That's not what John is talking about right here, and not saying that that individual does not need to be loved, but John is talking about it's more than just driving by a person. It's a fellow believer. It's a fellow brother or sister in Christ And the need is a legitimate need. It's not just something that they've made up and something that they've created, but you have observed it with your eyes and your ears and you've seen it. It's a brother or a sister in Christ and it's real. It's the elderly person that lost their social security and they don't have enough money to be able to put a handrail on their porch. It's the single mom who's got several children And she just lost her job. And she doesn't have money to buy groceries for her children. It's the dad who's working hard. And he has children. And he's trying to figure out a way to get them new mattresses for their beds. It's the college student who spent all of his money on tuition. And he doesn't have enough money for rent. And he needs a place to stay. Every single one of those examples are real examples that have happened in our church since we've been here. It's a real need from a brother or a sister in Christ that we're faced with all of the time. Third question is this. What does it mean to close your heart against them? This is a very, very important question. What we see happening and, and part of this wrestling for me came out of our pre-worship meeting with Noah and, and Mark and Todd, and they, they very much encouraged me in this, and Bobby, they said, what's happening is, is there is something happening in the physical. We've already talked about that. You've seen it, you've heard it, and now it moves, moves from what's in the physical to what's happening inside of your heart. So it's a spiritual response to something in the physical Now, this is the part where we need to take note, right? Because God not only sees what's in our hands, but he sees what's in our heart. And what happens in our heart is the overflow of everything. So this is what's happening in our heart. And the best way for me to help you guys understand this is to take you back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 to 8. And we're going to put this up on um, the screens here so you don't have to turn back. Check this out. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 to 8. If among you... One of your brothers should become poor. In any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Apparently for the Israelites, as Moses writes this, There is indeed a struggle with true brothers struggling 
and the Israelites closing their heart against them. So what does it mean to close your heart? When you close your heart through what you've seen and what you have observed, there is an emotional response that happens. Okay, stay with me here. You see the person in need, and in your heart and in your senses, you say, that person, they're struggling. They have a need. It's a real need. I can see it. I can sense it. I know they're hurting. And you see it in your heart, and then what happens is you build up a wall in between what you do with your hands and what happens in your heart. You hold in the sensitivity. You hold in the spiritual so it doesn't overflow into the hands. And as Moses says, he talks about the heart first, and he says the heart is hardened, and John says the heart is shut. But what's happening is that you are building up a wall. And when you build up a wall, it naturally overflows into your hands. And when you do that, Over and over and over, there's a bigger question at stake. And we talked a minute ago about verse 10. John is trying to help challenge Christians to understanding what does it look like to truly be a Christian. In the next part of this verse, check out what John says. He says this, If you close your heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If constantly... When you see the legitimate needs of people and you have stuff to be able to get rid of, you can sell it, you can give it to them, you've got food that you can take to their house, you've got an extra bedroom in their house that they can stay in and you see it and you know it and then you don't act on it. You don't move and you don't help people. That is the picture of closing your heart. Church, John is saying here, if you close your heart over and over and over and over and over, if you're never helping people, if you're never meeting the needs of people with your hands, is it possible that the love of God is not in you? Your heart is hard. It's not receptive to the needs of people. Is it possible that you don't know God? By very nature, as Ezekiel 11 says, when God comes into our life, He takes out a heart that is hard. It's a stone heart. And He gives us a heart of flesh. So in the picture that Moses is painting, we have a heart that's like this. Because our hands follow our heart. And our heart is tight. It's a stone. But when Christ comes into our life and we see the ultimate sacrifice that He has paid the debt for us, what happens is our hard hand, our hard heart, it opens. By the very nature of being a Christian, it means that you have an open heart. And with an open heart comes an open hand. And so for Christians... We walk around with our stuff like this. We see a brother in need, we give. We see a person struggling, we give. We realize that life does not consist with the goods that we have. We walk around with an open heart and an open hand. If your heart is closed, 
your hands are closed. If your heart is hard, your hand is hard. Your heart always follows, your heart always leads your hand. And here's the thing that I was thinking about today. If there's ever a moment when your heart is out of sync with your hand, you're in sin. Because if your heart leads you to do something and you don't do it, you're in sin. But if your heart tells you not to do something and then you do it, you're in sin. If you came in here to worship tonight and your heart did not want to worship, but you raise up your hands anyway, is that sin? Think through that. God not only sees what's in our hand, but He sees what's in our heart. When when Cain goes to the altar and he gives his sacrifice, God doesn't just see what's in his hand, but He sees what's in his heart. And the sacrifice is no good because his hands weren't following his heart. What's in your heart? Do you have a heart that's been opened to the gospel or is your heart hard? That's what John wants us to struggle with. So I want to ask you this question. Question two, what have you lost? Can you sit here tonight as a true follower of Jesus and you've seen these needs come into your life over and over and over again? Have you ever lost anything? Have you ever taken the budget that you were setting aside for vacation and you saw a person in need and you said, you know what, I'm going to give it to you? Have you ever had a spare bedroom in your house and you knew of a single mom that needed a place to stay and you said, you know what, this is going to be a huge discomfort to us, but we want you to stay here. Have you ever seen that elderly woman who needed a handrail and you said, this was going to pay for something that wasn't necessary, so I'm going to give it here. What have you lost? Is it possible that if you've never lost anything, that you truly know Christ? Because by the very nature of a Christian, you walk around like this. Last question is this. When will you live? In this verse, verse 18, it says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. As I studied this passage, I kept waiting for the commentary when I would like turn to verse 18, and the commentator would just say, John is saying, prove it, you know, it never came. Like that's exactly what John is saying. Another way of looking at this, let me read this verse to you this way. Little children, let us not love in blah, 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 blah. Because whenever a Christian says that they love their brother and then their actions don't follow the language, that's what it sounds like. Blah, 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 blah. If I, if I invited you over to my house and when you got there, you saw that my wife just drove a, a beater of a van and she was working 60 hours a week and then she was doing all the work at home and you saw my kids and they were running around naked with no clothes and they're all like malnourished. Isaac doesn't have diapers. And then I bring you into the house and I you know, show you my compound bow and I take you into the garage and I show you my Chevy Silverado you know, jacked up with like a 30-inch lift and the big mud tires, and I talk about how I've taken up a career in hunting. And I told you, I love my wife and my kids. Would you believe me? 
No. Because your actions always follow your heart. And so if you say, I love you, do your actions follow it? And when John says this, I want to tell you what he's saying here. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed, which is action. The Greek for that is ergon, or in truth, aletheia. So he's saying, don't just talk, but in action, love people. In truth, love people. There's another passage that's a beautiful parallel to this passage. And uh, it's found in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. And we have this passage on the screen, and I want to direct your attention to this passage. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. Talking without action is dead. Faith without works, saying that you have faith, and then not following it through with what you do, is no faith at all. It's dead. Mark Tosk last week, he talked about a trip that him and I had gone on where we took several students. We took about 150 students to Baghdad, Kentucky, where we went and we loved on um, an African-American church there. And last week he said that in that moment, he doesn't know if he ever felt more alive. And the reason for that is when you truly love, you truly live. Whenever you love people truly, you live fully. And so right now, if you would say, you know what? I've talked a lot. I've made that statement before. Well, I love all people because Christians should love all people. C.S. Lewis says that you can say that you love all people and love no one. Because true love is expressed in what you do. Are you loving someone? Are you laying down your life for them the way that Christ has said? that you should because of his example for us. Friends, that's love. Jesus has come so that we can have life and have it fully. Are you walking around dead? Is your faith dead? Is your talk dead? Or do you truly love? And through that love, you're living. There's no question that we feel most alive when we truly love. That's how God's made us. So tonight, first of all, let me, let me just give you a quick uh, disclaimer. There are times when people come to you and they say that they need something and the most loving thing to do is not to give them what they ask for. And I want to be certain that I say that tonight. I had an experience very recently where I had a man, I was going to a baseball game down in St. Louis and I was going to watch the Cardinals, and he comes up to me and he asks me for some food. And I told him that, you know, I, 
I wanted to give him some food, and I, and I very much would be eager to do that, but I wasn't going to give him any cash. And he said, well, I want to take this, and I want to go down to the spaghetti factory, and that's, that's far away from here. And so if you could just give me some cash, I'll, I'll go that way. And I said, no, I care about you, and I want to help you. And food is a true need. And I know that this brother was homeless, and so I needed to help him meet that need, but I wasn't going to give him cash. And so eventually I was able to talk him into going to Emo's with me and I sat down with him and I had a meal with him. There are times where people will come to you and they'll say that they need something and the most loving thing to do is not to give them what they ask for. But that doesn't mean that you're excused. We always love people in every opportunity that there's a need. Sometimes they may not understand what the greatest need is. Friends, the greatest need for all of us is Jesus. He's our greatest need. Tonight, if you're here and you would say this, I know that I'm in habitual sin. I've had no interest in God nor in following Him. I am unrighteous. And as I've talked about love, you feel like I've heaped coals on your head because you would say, I've not lost anything. I want to tell you that it is very probable that you do not know God. But praise be to Jesus that he's given you today. And just like that example that I told you about before, you are standing out in the middle of a street. There is a Mack truck that is bearing down on you. That truck is the wrath of God. Right now you are standing in your sin. And there is judgment that is coming because we serve a righteous God who has created this earth and He cannot have a relationship with sin. And so His wrath, His punishment for your sin is bearing down on you. It's coming. When you pass from this world, there will be a judgment. Now you may look at that God and you would say, you know what, any God that is bearing down on me is not a God that I want to serve. That's not a loving God. You want to talk about love? Jesus is the one, God's son, who pushes you out of the way. God loved you so much that he would send his son to die in your place. And he offers it to you freely. And so tonight, if you would say, I want to be pushed out of the way. I want to know Jesus. We want to give that opportunity to you right now. So this is what we're going to do. I just want to ask everybody just to, to go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head and the band is going to come up here and they're going to lead us in worship and we're going to respond tonight by this i'm going to ask all of our lot family leaders that are here to go ahead and come up when the band begins to play i'm going to ask for any of our elders that are here to come up and just to spread out across the front and there's three ways tonight that you can respond if you would genuinely say tonight in your heart that you've had a hard heart that you are a follower of Jesus, but you have been closing your heart to the needs of others, there is no better time like the present to confess. And so I want to give you an opportunity. You can, you can pray where you are and you can confess that and ask God to forgive you and to change your heart so that you can begin to love people. Or you can come up and you can talk to one of these leaders and share that need with them and let them pray for you. If you are here tonight and you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I have a genuine need, Here's the deal. If you don't tell people your need, nobody can help you, okay? We want to be a church that loves people. So if you're struggling financially or if you're struggling in another way, you're wrestling with sin, 
You're hurting. Come and talk to one of these people and let us pray for you. And if you have a need, let us meet it, if it's legitimate. And here's the other thing. If you would say tonight that the truck is bearing down on you, you feel like you're a lost kid out in a busy street that looks like it goes in many different directions and you don't know where you are, but you want Jesus, please come to the front and let us tell you about him. We want nothing more to do tonight than to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. That is our great joy, to spread the glory of his name. So friends, may we respond and may we not be a church that sits week after week after week not moved by the Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray tonight that you would send your Holy Spirit to convict, to encourage God to help us in our sin, to turn and to repent. God, we're all sinners here and we are all in desperate need of your grace. So God, I pray that you would pour it out. And if there is somebody here that does not know you, God, may you cause them through your great power to know you right now. In Jesus' name.